Welcome. Glad that you're here. You're a guest of ours. We're especially honored to have you with us this morning. Hey, I heard a story about a psychiatrist who ushered a man into his office. This man was like five foot tall. He weighed over 400 pounds. He was wearing hip waders, had spurs on. He had a cummerbund. He was wearing a denim jacket. One of the sleeves was torn off. On his shoulder was a bantam chicken with not a single feather on it. This guy had a clean shaven on one side of his face, a full beard on the other side of his face. It's a roofing nail through his nose. He wore a lady's pillbox hat with a veil pulled down over his head. There's a pencil sticking out of his ear. As he walked into the psychiatrist's office, he lets out this blood-curdling scream which turned into severe crying, and then he started laughing maniacally. The psychiatrist said, "Uh, Sir, what seems to be the problem? The guy said, Well, Doc, I'm worried about my brother. (laughs) Listen, there's a little bit of truth to that very lame joke. And the truth is, we always want to talk about somebody else. We always want to focus on somebody else's issues, somebody else's problems, somebody else's hang-up. Not me. I got it all figured out. I'm doing fine. And you see that all across the board, by the way. You talk about finances, you talk about marriages, you talk about relationships. Everybody else has these issues. Everybody else has problems. Not me. I'm doing great. You even see that when you talk about spiritual things, believe it or not. Fairly often, someone will meet me in the lobby after a, after a worship service and say, wow, that was a great sermon. I just wish so-and-so was here because they really needed to hear that. He really could have been helped by that lesson. She really needed to hear that lesson. Not me, of course. I didn't need it. But those other people, they really needed to hear that. So, I want to ask you a question this morning. And the question is not for your wife. It's not for your husband. It's not for your kids. It's not for your parents. It's not for someone else. It's not for all those people who should be here today. This question is just for you. Let me ask you a question. What would happen if Jesus really took hold of you? What would happen to you? What would happen to your life? If Jesus really took hold of you today, like the old Ray Stevens song about the squirrel that got loose in the church, but you know, something's got a hold on me, what would happen if Jesus got hold of you today? Now, depending on where your mind goes, you might be thinking a couple different things with this. Some of you might be thinking, ooh, I wouldn't like that. Uh, that would not be pretty if Jesus were to get a hold of me today. Um, because I think he'd have some things to say to me. I think he'd put me in my place. I think he'd be pretty stern with me. That's what I need, by the way. I know I need it, but I'm afraid it would be a little bit scary if Jesus were to take hold of me today. Some of you might go in the opposite direction. That would be great. I would love for Jesus to take hold of me today. I can't think of anything better than for Jesus to take hold of me. Now, we've talked at length this year about the fact that all of us have a story when it comes to how God has dealt with us. And our story becomes our story. You know, our Jesus story becomes our Jesus story. 
But sometimes our Jesus story can sort of end up sounding a lot like a, cre- a kid's uh, Christmas story. You know, a, a child's Christmas experience. Christmas right around the corner. Leading up to Christmas, you talk about, to a child about Christmas, it's all, he's all focused on, what am I going to get? Just let me tell you what I'm going to get. Now, here's what I'm going to get. And then after Christmas, it's, here's what I got. Now, let me tell you what I got. And sometimes that's the only way we ever tell our Jesus story. Here's what I got. Here's what I want to get. But I want to suggest to you this morning that when you get around people who have followed Jesus a long time, when you get around people who you can think, you know, that, that person, Jesus got a hold of that person. He's had a hold of that person for a while. You're going to see some things that are common to everybody's Jesus story. And again, we've talked about this this year. Now, everybody's story is going to have some different details. The dates, the names, the places might change. But there are some key constants to everybody's Jesus story. Some things that, you know, if Jesus takes hold of me, this is going to happen. If Jesus really gets his hands on me, this is what's going to occur. And again, some people, when they hear these kind of things, they're, they're drawn to that. Now, that. That's what I want. That's what I want to have happen in, in my life. Other people, not so much. Uh, that's what it's about, you know, count me out. What's going to happen to me if Jesus really gets his hands on me? I want to kind of think about that question in the light of one of the best-known miracles that Jesus performs. In fact, other than the resurrection, it's the only miracle that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all include the feeding of the 5,000. And I want to take a look at that miracle this morning. And I know that you know it really well. I know you're familiar with it. Um, I mentioned it's in all four Gospels. We're going to take a look at it through the Gospel of John. And again, as well known as this miracle is, I'm going to challenge you to pay attention to the details. There's a lot going on uh, in this, this, uh, this particular passage. John chapter 6 is where we are. You can read along, you can sit and listen. John 6, verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not be enough to buy buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place. And the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with fish. When they, had all, when, they, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, 
withdrew himself to a mountain by himself. Okay, the very first thing that you're going to pick up on this uh, story is at this point, Jesus is incredibly popular. At least with a large segment of society, Jesus is really popular at this point in his ministry. Jesus sort of wanders out into the countryside in this huge group of people come following after him. 5,000 men, uh, Scripture records. Obviously, that number could easily double, maybe more than that, if you add in women and children. This mass of humanity is following Jesus. Why? Why are they following Jesus? Are they following Jesus because of their complete understanding of Jesus? No. In fact, at this point, they really understand very little about Jesus. Was it because of their uh, complete commitment to Jesus? No. They're not committed to Him. Their full devotion to Jesus? Hardly. They're not devoted to Jesus. Was it because of their abiding faith in Jesus? With the exception of just a couple, nope. This mass of humanity didn't really have any faith in Jesus. Why were they following Jesus? Well, the text tells us they're following Jesus because they saw him heal a bunch of sick people. They saw miracles that were being done. They saw something, some miraculous signs. And their conclusion was, okay, this guy, this man Jesus, he's somebody who seems to be willing to help and to respond to people in need. Now, were all of those people sick? Obviously not. They weren't all sick. But here's a a group of people, a large group of people, who see what Jesus is able to do to sick people, and they begin to wonder to themselves. They begin to ask themselves, hmm, is that same power that we saw him unleash on those sick people, I wonder if that same power might be available to me and my problems my mess, my situation. These people just simply witness the power of Jesus and they gravitate toward it, a human nature. And so at this point, Jesus throws out a question. Where are we going to buy enough bread for all these people to eat? In other words, how are we going to meet these people's needs? How are we going to go spend money to be able to to solve this problem. Verse 6 says that he asked that question specifically to Philip. In fact, we're also told that he asked that question to test Philip. I read this and I think, poor Philip. (laughs) If I was Philip, I'd be like, why me? Don't you hate when someone asks you a question and you know they know the answer? And you know they are so much smarter than you are that it's kind of a test, and they're testing you, and you're thinking, I know there's an obvious answer to this question, but I know it can't be the obvious answer, and whatever I say is going to be wrong, and I don't want to be the one having to answer this question. And, of course, the other disciples, they're not helping Philip at all. They're, you know, kind of backing away, you know. You're on your own here, Philip. Where are we going to buy enough bread? But I think what Jesus is really trying to discern here, what he's trying to determine from Philip is what... Do you know about me? And what don't you know about me? Philip, what do you understand about me? And what don't you understand about me? Philip, do you understand what happens when I get my hands on somebody? 
Do you understand what happens when I take a hold of a situation? Have you figured that out yet? Now you go back to the story. Jesus asked Philip this hard question. Where are we going to buy enough bread for these people? And Philip, unfortunately, answers Jesus exactly like I would. He takes out his calculator. Well, let me estimate the number of people here. You know, divide by uh, uh, pi. Um, multiply by gross hourly income. Carry the seven, add the three, add in tax and delivery and gratuity. I got your answer, Jesus. I've got the answer. Eight months' wages wouldn't be enough for everybody here just to have a bite. Now, Philip comes up with a very human effort to deal with a physical need. But what if there's a spiritual need that's greater than the physical need? What if there's another need that, that eight months' wages wouldn't, wouldn't address? And I think if we're honest with ourselves, you know, we all think, oh, money solves everything. If I just had a little bit more money, more money, then my life would be so much better. You know, everything would be, you know, smooth sailing. If I just had enough money, how much is enough? Just a little bit more. But if we're honest with ourselves, I think we would all agree those needs that we have that are most important to us, those needs that, that really kind of settle in our hearts, really have nothing to do with money those desires to be fulfilled, the, the, those needs to be satisfied, um, to be significant, really don't have too much to do with money. And that's what Philip's about to learn. It's isn't about money. Philip has been with Jesus. He's seen Jesus perform miracles. But now Jesus is asking him a question. And Philip's response, even though it's exactly like I would have responded, like I'm sure most of us would have responded, Philip's response to Jesus' question sort of proves that Philip's understanding of Jesus is much too shallow for this situation. In Philip's life, he's never connected this need, right now, this need this time, with that power, those signs and those wonders. Now, he's heard of the power. In fact, he's seen the power He's witnessed the power, but I'm not sure it ever occurred to Philip that that same power is available right there, right then, in that situation. Philip's just not that far along yet. And I'm afraid that's where a lot of people get stuck today. We read the Bible. We study God's Word. We know what it says. We read those stories, and intellectually we understand we serve a powerful God. In fact, we hear people tell stories about how God has worked powerfully in their lives. True stories about how God has worked powerfully in their lives. It's just, I don't know, we stand in the middle of our need. We stand in the middle of our crisis, our moment, and we sort of wonder, hmm, can he still do it? I wonder if that same power that, that I've read about, that I've heard about, is that same power available right here to me right now in my situation. What would happen if Jesus really did roll up his sleeves and grab hold of me today? Well, I said there's a couple elements to everyone's Jesus story. Very quickly... I want to share with you three elements, three uh, constants 
that show up in everyone's Jesus story. I'm going to move pretty quick, so put your seat in its upright position, pull your lap bar down, keep your hands and feet inside to ride at all times. We're going to be moving. Uh, I want to stay in the feeding of the 5,000, though. But I want to flip over to Luke's account and take a look at a passage that, that Luke writes. Luke chapter 9, verse 16. Same story, different author. Then he, Jesus, then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them, and he gave them to his disciples to set before the multitude. Jesus does three things in this story that are still constants in everyone's Jesus story. Three things that still happen when Jesus gets his hands on somebody. He took, he blessed, and he used. And I know the verse there says he gave, but in giving he he used. He took, he blessed, he used. That's what he did that day. That's what he still wants to do today. He took, he blessed, he used. Those three actions are going to be a part of your Jesus story. First, he takes. Jesus takes what that little boy had to offer. Notice Jesus does not come up to that little boy and say, well, I created the universe and everything in it, so that food actually belongs to me, and he'll rip it out of the little boy's hand. He doesn't do that. He doesn't pull a mistrunchable on the little kid either and say, I'm big, you're small, I'm smart, you're dumb, I'm right, you're wrong, give me the food. He doesn't do that either. He only takes what is freely offered to him. And this is true for me and you as well. Jesus only takes life, only takes hold of someone who freely offers themselves to him. Paul tells us in Romans, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And of course, Jesus is encouraging us to do this all the time in different ways. You know, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus says, I want you to let me in. I want to get involved in your life. I want to take a hold of you. I'm not going to break the door down. You're going to have to open the door. You're going to have to invite me into your life. You're going to have to offer your life to me, your values, your goals, your morals, your family, your priorities. Jesus never strong arms anyone into loving him. It all begins when you come and offer yourself a living sacrifice to God. He takes... And he blesses. You know, I think sometimes we get a little bit mixed up on this whole blessing thing. We sort of think of blessings as, well, God gives me things because I'm so good. I do good things and God blesses me for it. You know, he's giving me his stamp of approval. And the more good things I do, the more stuff I get because God is blessing me. But I'm not sure that's really a biblical concept. For one thing, I've got a neighbor who I don't think has anything to do with God, he's got a lot more stuff than I do. Scripture talks about blessings as a transformation of something, in addition to something that wasn't there to begin with. When God blesses something, he makes it better. When God blesses something, he adds something to it that wasn't there before. Let me give you an example that maybe you can relate to, a marriage. In fact, I use my marriage as an example. I take my just a little bit of understanding of my wife and communicating and cooperating and and loving my wife, and God infuses my limited abilities, and he blesses my marriage, allows me to meet my wife's needs. 
Now, imagine if I were to say, I'm just going to take God out of the picture. I'm just going to remove God, this concept of God's blessings from the picture. Then I can say to Martha, you know what, Martha, you're like the grand prize winner. You're the big winner. Because I'm like probably the most compassionate, the most understanding, the most um, patient husband that's ever walked the face of the earth. I am the husband by which all other husbands are measured. But Martha knows much better than that. She knows me much better than that. And she knows God much better than that. She knows that God has taken two very ordinary people, very flawed people, two very sinful people, and He has infused our marriage. He's blessed our marriage. He's transformed our marriage into something that, in my humble opinion, I think is extraordinary. And it's because of God's blessings. In short, God's made me a better husband. And he's made my wife a better wife. He's made us both more patient and more loving, more forgiving than we ever could have been on our own. He's blessed us. He's added something that wasn't there before. And this is a continual thing, by the way. Jesus is constantly doing this. You talk about parenting, you talk about finances, you talk about you know, work relationships. God blesses us by taking a situation, by taking a relationship, an individual, and adding to that, transforming that into something that it couldn't have been without his input. Something that's just better. He takes, he blesses, and then finally he uses. Jesus uses this little boy in our story, he's an interesting kid. You know, we really don't know anything about this little boy. We sort of can infer that he was poor. The lunch that he's carrying is a poor boy's lunch, barley loaves and some fish. That's what poor people would be carrying as a lunch, but we can't be sure about that. One thing I am pretty sure about is this little boy is pretty insignificant. He doesn't have any connections. He doesn't know anybody famous. He didn't pull that card of, you know, hey, I'm so-and-so's son or grandson. Uh, He doesn't seem to have any special abilities that set him apart from the rest of this multitude, other than the fact he had sack lunch. And he offered that to Jesus. This insignificant boy takes a very insignificant lunch, and he puts it in the hands of Jesus. Jesus takes something that's not nearly enough for the need. Not nearly. And Jesus makes that little bit not just enough, he makes it too much. He makes it extremely significant. And again, you see this all through Scripture. God takes something like dust and creates human being from it. He takes the jawbone of a donkey, pretty insignificant thing, puts it in the hands of Samson, kills a thousand Philistines. He takes a a rod, you know, a, a stick of wood, insignificant, puts it in the hands of Moses, it comes pretty powerful. Takes something as ordinary as a slingshot, puts it in the hand of David, kills a giant with it. He takes a a kind of a a forgotten girl in a forgotten place, just a young girl who doesn't really have any connections, young woman by the name of Mary, and uses her to bring Jesus into this world. Jesus wants us to understand when we find ourselves thinking, you know, I'm pretty insignificant. Now, who am I? 
In the grand scheme of things, really. Who am I? I'm a nobody. I don't have any connections. I don't have any special talents. I, I don't have any reason to stand out. Jesus says, you don't understand. When I get my hands on you, when I take hold of you, you become extremely significant. You don't become just enough. You become more than enough to accomplish some pretty amazing things. When I get my hands on you, you count. You matter. Say, but, you know, but I'm just... I can't be the kind of husband that I want to be. I can't be the kind of wife. I, I can't be the kind of son. Or I, can't, I can't be the kind of employee that I really want to be. Jesus says, I take insufficient and I bless it. I transform it. And it becomes enough. You become well-equipped to live the kind of life you really do want to live. But it depends on if you're willing to offer your life to Jesus. Allow him to bless that life. Allow him to make you significant. You're thinking back to that kid in our story. I wonder about that kid. I wonder if maybe he grew up. Maybe he got married. And that, that grown-up kid, you know, when he's an adult living with, with a wife, maybe some kids. I wonder if maybe his, his marriage went sideways for a while. You know, some stress between him and his wife. Or maybe one of his kids just started keeping him up at night. You know, maybe a financial downturn and you know, he's really stressed about that. I wonder if that grown-up kid ever thought back to that afternoon that he spent just a little bit of time with Jesus. And he thought back to what Jesus did that day with his little bit of lunch and fed all those people. And I wonder if that kid, maybe when his life wasn't going just exactly like he would have scripted it, I wonder if he asked himself, hmm... Could he do it again? I know he did it once. I wonder. Could he do it again? Could he do it today? Could he do it in my life right now with my problems? Can he still do it? And I think people are still asking that question all the time. Can he still do it? Listen, the answer is yes. <laughs> Absolutely, he can still do it. When Jesus gets his hands on us, the answer is yes. And our Jesus story better reflect that. But sometimes there's this danger of our Jesus story just becoming a story. Long, long ago, in a faraway place, once upon a time, and the whole thing just gets watered down. And it just becomes an exercise in doctrine. But Jesus hasn't changed. Same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what Hebrews tells us. If you offer your life to Jesus, if you truly allow him to use it, he will bless your life. He'll add to it. Make you more than you could ever imagine being. Allow us to be a blessing to others. Right here, right now. Not long ago, far away. Right here, right now. One last question. Is that what you want? Now, don't answer too quickly. Do you really want Jesus to take hold of you today? Because I suspect that some of you are probably thinking, um, I wouldn't say this out loud, but personally, not so much. 
pretty comfortable right where I am now. I don't really want Jesus to take hold of me. I just like to keep living a life kind of like I am. But I also suspect that there are some of you who are thinking, absolutely. I absolutely want Jesus to take hold of me today because I need blessed. Right now in the middle of my mixed up life, in the middle of my struggles, in the middle of my crisis, yeah, yeah, I want Jesus to take hold of me. I need a blessing right here, right now. I need that same power that turned five loaves and two fish into this food for a multitude. I need that same power to show up here in the middle of my life, right here, right now. And again, he can do it. He can still do it. But we're going to have to offer ourselves to him. We're going to have to invite him into our lives and offer ourselves as a sacrifice to him, allowing him to bless us and allowing him to use us. Jesus wants to take hold of you right now, today. Maybe, you're, maybe he wants to take hold of you again right now, today. Why don't you take him your five loaves and two fish see what he does with it. Why don't you take him whatever meager offering you have and say, Jesus, it's yours. You use my talents. They're not that much, but you use them. You use my intellect. You use my passions. You use my personality. I don't know what you can do with it. Jesus would say, you have no idea what I can do with it. You have no idea how I can bless your life. And you can bless others. He wants to take hold of you right now. Listen, church family, if we can help you in any way, we're going to invite you to meet us in the front of the auditorium here. Let's stand and sing.